Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Unlock me! Unlock me! I'm not going to swear, okay? You know what I'm saying? Uh, no. It's Mark Grody on 670 The Score. Oh, hi, Mark. How we doing? Welcome in on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. I am Mark Grody here with you until 9 o'clock. So I get the next three hours with you. And I hope that you make yourself a part of the show by calling or texting the program at 312-644-6767. That'll get you right in here if you'd like to call and talk to our executive producer tonight that'd be brandon fryer he will take your call and we will put you on the radio tonight 312-644-6767 for the number or for the text i am alive and well on twitter at mark grody sports i'm on instagram and facebook and wherever you do your social media you can probably find me and it was it has been a busy sweaty day for me because I spent the first part of my day the early morning and the early afternoon in Lake Forest today covering the Chicago Bears practice and we will talk about what I saw and what I heard here in in just a little bit but let me set you up for the show tonight again I'm here until nine o'clock at 625 about 25 minutes from right now we will Talk White Sox with James Fegan of The Athletic. The White Sox getting ready to host the Oakland A's once again tonight. It's going to be Lance Lynn against Cole Irvin. Of course, the big story last night was Chris Bassett essentially breaking his face, breaking a cheekbone last night on a scalding line drive um, yesterday off the bat of Brian Goodwin. So we'll try to, we'll get a little follow-up on that set up tonight's game because it's going very well in that series for the White Sox. They've won two in a row against a team with a record above 500. There you go. Looking for three straight against the Oakland A's tonight. So we will go live to guaranteed rate field in just a little bit. Talk to to James Vegan. My guy Hub Arkish will be on at 7 o'clock. Cannot wait to get his perspective on all of the ongoings at Hallis Hall today. So Hub Arkish of the score and his other outlets will join us coming up at 7 o'clock tonight here on The Score. Other than that, it is you and I at 312-644-6767 is the number. Well, Tevin Jenkins gave us the worst-case scenario as far as the Bears are concerned today. It, something like this was brewing. It was, it's been coming for a little while now that 
Tevin Jenkins, if you did not hear, he is scheduled to, perhaps already had, I'm guessing he has, had back surgery. That is the the worst-case scenario, having to have back surgery, which he is doing today. And as Matt Nagy said, he is going to miss some um, at least some of the season, and the hope is that he is back for some part of the year this year. And just to get everybody up to date on what's going on, what was said, here, let's start with Matt Nagy on specifically Tevin Jenkins answering some questions that you might have. It's something new. So this is this is something we're aware um, of the back issues in college, but these are symptoms that are new. So that's uh, that's what we're dealing with. You know, he's, he's at a point right now where um, we were trying, like I said, we were trying different things to, to see that we could stay away from, from this. And it was something that we ended up uh, getting to this point right now that the, the part that, that, you know, when you get to the word surgery, obviously everyone gets concerned, you know, that you don't want to hear that. But the goal is to get him back here this year. And I think once that happens, then, um, you know, we're able to look back at this. But it, it's where we're at right now. Matt, is this the kind of back issue where you fix it, he's out, he comes back, it's like he's like new? Or as sometimes happens with back issues, is this a potentially chronic longer-term issue that could affect his NFL career? What I would say to that, Mark, is that from, from everything that I'm hearing, it sounds like it sounds very, very positive that once once uh, once this is done, that it should be – it should be – again, I, I it's hard to put and say everything is 100%, but it sounds like once this happens and you get this surgery, that things should be – it should be – Fixed and pretty good, you know. So that's the that's the the good part in this whole thing. No timeline on, on Kevin James. No, no timeline, but the goal is to get him here for the season, for for some part of the season. Yeah, for some part of the season, Matt Nagy right there on Tevin Jenkins. So right now, your two tackles, as we look at the blueprint, would be Jason Peters, assuming he is out at practice tomorrow. He has yet to practice with the Bears. He's not out there today. Jason Peters, your left tackle. And Latavius Simmons, the second-year offensive lineman, has been playing the majority of right tackle. That would be Pig. He uh, was a seventh-round pick last year for the Bears. He's looked fine. He he has been relatively healthy. Um, Your interior is intact. That's the good news for the Bears' offensive line that you do have Sam Mustafer, you do have Cody Whitehair, and you got James Daniels back in there today. So the interior is is solid. It's those two outside pieces that are problematic. Now, the Bears fans have to move forward with this. The, the, the good part about this, possibly moving forward, or something that maybe you can recall, is that last year, For the middle part of the season, the Bears' offensive line was bad. And then they realigned things, and it made it better. That you had Cody Whitehair going back to guard. You you had the the revelation that is Sam Mustafer. James Daniels was obviously out with a pectoral injury, and he is back in now. So, in other words, the Bears have dealt with reconfiguring an offensive line on the fly and there was relative success doing it last year. Now, there it was conservative towards the end, and I think a lot of Bears fans were heartened that they were able to run the football more last year once they reconfigured things. But Juan Castillo and whomever else is assisting on putting together that offensive line 
they did succeed with it last year. Don't get me wrong. What happened is bad. It really is because it affects everything. Quite frankly, I think that this clinches it that Justin Fields will not start on September 12th because there's always been that little bit of an opening, and there still is technically, that Justin Fields could be the starter on September 12th. But I can't imagine that at this point they would put a rookie quarterback in, your future in, when you don't have solid pieces at the tackle position. I think that clinches it. So that's one one of the many bad parts about it. But going forward, you hope that Juan Castillo and Matt Nagy and whomever else can work some magic in terms of getting it configured correctly and having it be a positive part of your team despite something hugely negative happening today. 312-644-6767 is the number. I know you guys want to talk about the Bears and the offensive line, and, and we will do it, so just hang in there for one more second. But I do want to let you know, too, that Justin Fields – has a sore groin. So he he was out there today. He was not in pads. He was flinging the football around. He seemed to be walking fine. So I think that we could take their word for it in that this is just a, a sore groin at this point. But let's let's hear from Matt Nagy and what he had to say on Justin Fields. He was a little sore, and Justin's the last one that's going to tell you that, that that's an excuse. He's not going to use that excuse. I mean, he was pissed off with some of the throws and just the way in general yesterday we were all a little bit – I didn't think offensively we had a very good day. You know, and we, we were able to watch the film last night, go through it and correct it and see why and stuff. So, And I just for, – for us, we, we just – we got to be smart. You know, we want to be smart, and it doesn't make sense right now to – to push the limits with him. That same thing, we're trying to get him more involved. As of now, are your original plans for Justin to play Saturday intact? And, and, and how will that sort of... They are. Evolve? No, they, they, they're intact. And again, like, you know, even just every, like from every day from here up until Saturday, we just got to be careful with him. Because the plan is we want to be able to evaluate him. We want him, I think if we asked you guys and we said, hey, would you rather him not practice today? And and uh, and play Saturday or practice today and not play Saturday. What would y'all pick? Right. So y'all can't get mad that he's not practicing today. You know, we're trying to be smart with him. I still think it's fifty fifty for Saturday because if if he's got a sore groin and today's Wednesday, so there obviously are a few days for that to temper itself, the groin soreness. But if it doesn't, if there's any little bit of lingering. No way do you put him out there. There, there's, there'd be no reason to do that. So, hopefully, it is just what Matt Nagy was saying and what Justin Fields had apparently reported to Matt Nagy and the training staff that it is, it is soreness in his groin, and maybe that'll dissipate over the next few days. But like I said, if there, if there's any part of it left, why? I don't think even the the forty thousand plus that will probably go to that Bears fan game on Saturday are going to want to chance it in that case. So I don't know. I, I might even say it's less than 50-50 in terms of the chances of being out there. But we'll we'll get another update early tomorrow morning on that. And by the way, too, Cole Komet is being held back in practice as well. He has a sore hamstring, kind of kind of the exact same scenario as Justin Fields out there but not doing a lot and – Matt Nagy just saying that this is a case where you're just being as conservative as you possibly can be. Uh, 312-644-6767 is the number. Let's go to Scott to start in South Elgin. Hi, Scott. You're on the score. Hey, what's happening? How are you doing this evening? I'm well. How are you, Scott? 
Yeah, you know, I'd be better if if the Bears would stop uh, drafting damaged goods at tackle. I mean, we got Chris Williams, Gabe Karimi, now you got Tevin Jenkins, and the the thing the real thing that really got me today was they said back in week two of the college season last year he hurt his back, and that's why he took the rest of the year off. Why not get surgery then? Why something else must have happened between that time and when the Bears finally got their hands on him. It's just extremely frustrating to consistently have this happen, especially when you cut Charles Leno, although he was a turnstile, he was a healthy turnstile. <laughs> so, I mean, you just, you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot by cutting a left tackle like that, knowing you have damaged goods over there on the left side. So now you're going to have to cut Jimmy Graham and go tie in Russell Okun. Good luck. Oh, man. I'll hang up and listen. All right, man. I appreciate the call. Yeah, the, the correct response to Tevin Jenkins is going to have surgery is, you got to be kidding me. That that's, that's what I felt all over the city of Chicago and its suburbs today when I was tweeting out that Tevin Jenkins was going to miss the entire season. Just I felt like this blanket – you got to be kidding me. Because I think that Bears fans, if you're following along the Tevin Jenkins thing, you knew that it wasn't getting any better on a daily basis, and the information we were giving you was nothing other than he's not out there again today, and that it went from day to day to being week to week. So there was this dark period of time where we were just waiting for something magical to happen, like we arrive and there's Tevin Jenkins out on the field, but instead, no, it's the you got to be kidding me scenario where your second round pick Devin Jenkins your left damn tackle is out and who knows how many games he's going to miss during the regular season so I feel you man go to Mark Mark you're on the score hey good evening I've been watching the Bears for 55 years I still remember the uh, Butkus Sayers draft well here I'm going to just point out they they cut Leno before they even really made up their mind they were going to put this guy at the left tackle position. I seen it as a mistake immediately. I'm a casual fan. How could they not see this, that, you know, this could be a problem. We should have some type of backup in place to have our left tackle. They could say what they want about Leno. He started 93 games in a row. That's pretty good consistent. So what is your feelings on that? Yeah, I mean, it's really easy to go back to Charles Leno now and say, oh, man. I mean, it felt like it did cross my mind, and my initial thought was, oh, God, does he look good now? Like, Because I always defended him, I think, probably more than other people. It felt like the longer he was on the Bears, the more he became a punching bag, did Charles Leno Jr. But maybe there is a new appreciation for him. I can't honestly say, though, that when he was caught, I was upset or mad or angry or had anything disparaging to say. I mean, I think my, my thought was, all right, he, he you know, for a guy who was a seventh-round pick, getting to start at left tackle for all those years with the Chicago Bears and have the consecutive start streak that he had that the caller just pointed out. That was a hell of a career, but I was all for it. I was all for like something new, and I bought in on Tevin Jenkins, and you can move him to left tackle. I thought offensive line, if Tevin Jenkins had been good at left tackle and now, moreover, healthy, I thought that offensive line, because of, the in, because of what you discovered on the interior last year, had a chance to be a position of strength this year. Now I have no idea that Tevin Jenkins being out obviously changes the whole thing, but I can't honestly say that I had outrage when Charles Leno Jr. was gone. This was, like, 
really think about it, other than the Justin Fields draft this year, this was an offensive line draft for the Bears in terms of what they were really zeroing in on. And Tevin Jenkins was it. Larry Borum, also out with a concussion right now, was another part of that. So there was a theme in, hey, let's let's shake up this offensive line. Let's prepare it for the – let's do something new. And part of that was getting rid of Charles Leno Jr. So, of course, of course it sounds good. Now, if you first guessed that, then congratulations. I did not. And, you know, Spiegel brought up the point of, you know, they had the choice between Jimmy Graham – and Charles Leno, and you could look at it now as they, they chose wrong, but I, I'm not going to act mm-hmm. like I was looking at it in that way at the time. I, I, was, all, I was all for it. Um, let's see here. 312-644-6767 is the number. Somebody asked, oh, yeah, from the 847, is Alex Bars still on the team? I thought he was serviceable. Interesting that you ask about Alex Bars. Alex Bars has played just about every position on the offensive line, but I think he is the the classic case of he is the the master of none on the at those positions because he has played everywhere and he does seem serviceable. He comports himself well when I've seen him in practice. There's never really been any horrible grades on him, but for some reason that he does he's not had sustainability as far as being somebody that they really look to as a potential starter like they have no problem plugging him in plugging him in and playing whether it's tackle or guard maybe even center but there is there's something in his skill set and I'm not sure what it is that they're not crazy about Alex Bars the starter 3126446767 Tim in Orland Park you are on the score hi Tim Gordy Bear, what's up, my friend? What's happening, man? I think we're making a little bit of a a little bit of a panic move and a big deal on the Tevin Jenkins injury. I, I'm concerned, but at the same time he's young, he'll heal quicker, and may have avoided a larger injury had he played with any issue that he had uh that you know brought itself to fruition during training camp. So I think they made the right choice with Peters coming in. Let this guy heal up let him get good, get his body right, and then throw him in there for the next 10 years, hopefully, and and, and, and hopefully it works out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I, I like your, your positive approach about it, Tim. The, the, the issue, the big issue that I have is even going into this season, we still don't know, like, and we still don't know if Tevin Jenkins is a legitimate starter as a left tackle in the National Football League or right tackle for that matter. We we don't know. I think I think he is he seems to have all the the skill set to do it. If I had to press yes or no, I'd say yes, but we don't know that for sure. So the problem with this is is that when he does come back, if he does come back this season, you're not going to be able to just plug and play him. You know, and and you hope that at that point, whenever it is, let's just say set the bar at about halfway through the season, maybe that he would come back. I guess that's even possibly optimistic. I hope that by then Jason Peters has done a serviceable job or that they discover that Elijah Wilkinson is good as a left tackle or Larry Borum gets healthy and comes back and provides that or somebody off the street. But the problem is, is that we don't know what what he would be if he was totally and completely healthy. And we're talking about Tevin Jenkins. So when he does come back, how, how does that work? And a lot of it will depend on where the Bears are 
in their season at that point? Are they are they a winning team? And if they're a winning team, Tevin Jenkins probably isn't going to play this year, even if he is healthy, unless there are real issues along the offensive line. But how do you just throw him in there? So I don't know. It's very possible that we're looking at training camp next year before you know Tevin Jenkins really learns the position and before the Bears know if he is the starting left tackle for the Chicago Bears going forward. 312-644-6767. Kevin on the road. What's up, Kevin? Hey, driving home, thinking about it. You guys are sounding good. All I got to say, Charles Leno, man, it's like the Grinch. Stink, stank, stunk. <laughs> okay, Kevin. First of all, I appreciate the air check. Hey, you're sounding good. Good, excellent. Stank, stank, stunk. That's usually reserved for Saturday mornings on the score with Steve Rosenblum and yeah, yours truly. But yeah, no, there there are a lot of people chiming in on the text line. It's it's amazing what a volatile subject Charles Leno Jr. has been over the last, let's just say, five years. Like you bring his name up. And let's see, Leno may have started, this is from the 773, Leno may have started many games, but he consistently had at least two holding or false starts calls a game. Um, the offensive line from the 312 is going to get fields killed. Oh, that's, that's what I said. I mean, one of the first things I said, the, the most ill effect of this occurring, the Tevin Jenkins injury and the reconfiguring of the offensive line is you don't mess with Justin Fields and putting him in under those circumstances. I mean, you, you don't want to see that. And I get it. And, and I even tried to talk myself into this at one point in time that since Justin Fields is elusive and he can move and get out of the pocket, maybe he's better suited to doing that than Andy Dalton. But come on, man. I mean, you can't ask the guy to run for his life on every play and then eventually not get some sort of injury. I mean, he he, he could have hurt himself in that first game when he did the spin move against Miami in the first preseason game. I mean, it's part of the opportunity cost of having a guy who can roll out of the pocket, but... There, there's no reason at this point to take a chance on putting Justin Fields out there when you don't know what you have on your offensive line. We're, we're going to talk a lot more about the Bears tonight. We are just scratching the surface. Hub Arkish is going to join me at 7 o'clock tonight. So that's about 35 minutes from right now. I'll ask Hub all of these questions. I don't know his take yet. He was definitely out there. But I had a little quick convo with Hub. I said, Hub, I need you at 7. He said, no problem. So he's coming on with us at 7 o'clock tonight. It's going to be great. But next, let's talk about the Chicago White Sox. They're getting ready to host the Oakland A's. We will do that with James Fegan of The Athletic. White Sox talk is next. I'm Mark Grody on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. So um, Bass is conscious. He was the entire time. Um, we don't think the eye is a problem at this point. It felt like it was below it. He's got some cuts. They had to do some stitches. He's in a scan, and we'll know more about potential fractures or whatever tomorrow or later tonight. We don't know right now. It's Oakland A's manager Bob Melvin talking about the baseball that – Hit A's pitcher Chris Bassett in the face last night. Square in the face, off the bat of Brian Goodwin. It was ugly. It was frightening. 
and if you saw it and you were watching the moment, it, it's got to be one of the, the the scarier things that you've ever seen in sports, quite frankly. And we've seen a lot of ugly injuries for sure. Mark Grody with you on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score here with you until 9. More Bears with Hub Arkers coming up in 30 minutes from right now. Hub will join me at 7 o'clock. But let's talk about the White Sox and the A's. Lance Lynn against Cole Irvin tonight. James Fegan covers the White Sox for a living for the athletic guests on the score. Join us on the score hotline presented by Circa resort and casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. What's going on, James Vegan? How are you? Oh, nothing much. Just another fun night at the ballpark. Man, I, I hope it is the events of tonight are better than, than last night. The result was excellent for the white Sox, a nine, nothing win. And we'll get to that, but what was the moment like for you in the press box at Guaranteed Rate Field when that was going down, when Chris Bassett, quite frankly, went down? Describe it from your perspective. Um, I think you could just tell, especially with the way the catcher Sean Murphy was reacting, that it was bad right away. It was kind of the immediate signaling towards the, the dugout. Um, I guess surreal is probably the go-to word there. Like I had just talked to Chris, um, you know, the night before for just kind of asking about how he looks back on being traded uh, for the White Sox, uh, you know, seven years ago. Um, you kind of saw Brian Goodwin go over to like the White Sox dugout and get like kind of hugs. Uh, you know, even they're um, able to keep playing the game. It was probably the most somber three-run homer uh, ever hit by Jake Lamb like a couple minutes later since he had played with the A's just last season. And he even said post-game that he could barely think about what he was doing. Um, so it, it, it's just very surreal. I mean, you could see the A's were just not really in a great place uh, for the rest of the game, and you could kind of imagine why. Um, so as much as it was, you know, a great showing by Ronaldo Lopez, uh, you know, a dominant game against the winning team, which is what the White Sox have been knocked for uh, a lot of the season, it's just, how, how do you process it? You kind of wonder if they should have kept playing and, you know, it didn't seem like anybody really questioned that as far as players and managers afterwards, but it, it, is, it is weird to kind of keep going uh, after something like that. Yeah, there there was no expression on the face of Jake Lamb as he rounded the bases and hit hit that, that three-run homer last night. You, you mentioned Brian Goodwin in, in the dugout and kind of following him. Did you guys get a chance to talk to Brian Goodwin last night or no? No, I mean, they said – he probably would just assume, you know, that he was going to send a message and send those wishes to Bassett, but like that, you know, in the week of the game that he wasn't amped to kind of talk about it at length, and you can kind of understand why. Um, you know, Liam Hendricks talked to us today. You know, he obviously played there a long time. And he said his wife uh, was actually sitting with Chris Bassett's wife and everything happened last night. And, uh, she played a big role in getting her down to where she was able to ride in the ambulance uh, with them to the hospital. So, um, yeah, just a lot of a lot of fun stuff last night. Yeah, man. We and we will try to move on from it. It sounds like the the fact that he's healthy and Bassett want can't wait to get back out there. That is the heartening news, as ugly as it was. We're talking to James Fegan from the Athletic. I'm Mark Grody here on the score. White Sox and A's getting ready to go in about a half an hour from right now. Lance Lynn against Cole Irvin. You mentioned uh, Reynaldo Lopez last night. Five strong innings. What is Reynaldo Lopez as he has looked decent since being called up, called up, which surprised me initially, to be honest with you? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, 
there were issues with the Ronaldo Lopez profile um, as far as how he'd project, what kind of role he'd be before that shoulder injury, um, basically in his first start of 2020, uh, and not really having the same velo ever since then. You know, basically his entire career, he's had like a really good fastball, and you kind of wondered, you know, how consistent a secondary is going to be, how consistent is the command going to be. Um, but since basically he's the start of 2020, he hasn't had that that fastball, and you know that profile and taking making him sit 91-95, you know, really was not effective compared to now where he's back to throwing, you know, an average 96, and you see him really touch the top of the scale and can do that consistently. So the hope is that the kind of revamped arm motion that he has, it being shorter, the shorter pass that Ethan Katz had him install over the off season. It really took a while to work. You know, we think of so many pitching coach uh, fixes being instantaneous and seeing that with Carlos Bedard and, and Bill Seeds. You know, Ronaldo described it as like a longer, you know, four to five month path of really seeing the effect. So if he has improved command and has his velocity back, then yeah, if nothing else, that's a useful piece, you know, the way we always thought out of the bullpen or you know, a multi inning guy. I can't say for sure, like, you know, cancel the cancel the search for any extra starters, uh you know, indefinitely um, based on this, but certainly now going forward as you're kind of bringing Corsodon back slowly, probably in Toronto series, you feel a lot better about sending him against the Rays and over the weekend than probably you did uh, a couple weeks ago. No doubt. I mean, he's he's passing tests, that's for sure, and I don't know how risky they would get with Ronaldo Lopez in terms of potential postseason roster and all that, but we'll get there when we get there. I think one of my favorite parts of last night and, and all season long has been watching Andrew Vaughn play baseball. He made a nice play in right field again last night. He had that two-run single to right field in the second inning. It seems like the sky is the limit for, for this kid, that he's just touching the surface. What do, what do you see for a ceiling for Andrew Vaughn? The ceiling? Um... Like how good is how good can he be? Because it's like he's he's not only passing tests this year, but he's also thriving. So just how good is Andrew Vaughn? I mean, the ceiling. I don't want to sound nuts, but like the ceiling is something on the level of like, you know, an Eloy Jimenez, uh, you know, type of offensive figure. So like the issue was going to be that he was supposed to have like no defensive value whatsoever. So the fact that he like can stick in a corner and be, you know. Decent, solid, uh, obviously not, you know, prime uh, Juan Pierre out there, but anything, but, you know, you can stick him in there and not really worry about it, especially when you have Luis Robin in the middle. You know, that's huge. And this is a guy that people have talked about, um, you know, competing for batting titles in the future or, you know, having 25 to 30 home run power. So it's really like a very high-level player if that's someone who's consistent, you know, average defender in a corner outfield. That's kind of what you wanted for Eloy. Um, I don't know if it's quite that transcendent level of power or uh, and certainly the hit tool has struggled a bit more uh, this season, though it's understandable given that he hasn't played much above a ball and you know, can definitely get a lot better. But the ceiling, I haven't thought about it much because you're just thinking about how much he's adapted and just playing the season. But if he's a passable corner out, outfielder, the ceiling's extremely high. I I love the <laughs> I love the Aloy Jimenez potential ceiling. That that is great. Um and, and you know, it's not, I'm acting like it's it's super surprising, but this is obviously a guy who comes from high stock having been drafted where he was in the first round, so it's not completely shocking, but 
I just th- this was not the year that I thought we were going to see this from Andrew Vaughn, but but here we are. Uh, Luis Robert starting to heat up, got the day off yesterday, but he has had three multi-hit games in the past six games. He's back in the lineup tonight hitting sixth. What have you thought about the return of Luis Robert so far? I think it's been really encouraging since, you know, basically the first month of the season was all about being encouraged that his approach had seemed to advance, that he was a lot more content to take singles to the right field, that he was wading through a lot more tough at-bats and had having close takes with two strikes and, you know, getting used to the idea of not just kind of overwhelming the competition the way he did in the minors, you know, being hyper-aggressive and just kind of waiting for a spot. The thing that he was not really doing in the first month and he wondered and talking to his hitting coaches, they also wondered was, was he going to get impatient with not driving the ball as much as he wanted and kind of swing himself out of what he's the balanced approach that he had uh, done. You haven't seen that at all uh, so far. Not only have you seen him kind of stick to what he's doing, and continue to like work counts more than you saw him last year. But now you're seeing him drive the baseball a lot. So that's really the, the total package you're hoping for. Obviously, he's going to be an aggressive guy. Obviously, the discipline is he's not going to walk as much as uh, you know Andrew Vaughn or, or someone like that. But you know it's a, it's a tremendous bat speed and a power combination along with you know goal to defense. You know we're talking about ceilings. That's the this, this is the highest ceiling player in the organization, uh, really bar none. What any updates, James, on Yasmani Grandal or Carlos Rodon? Rodon, we talked the other day. You know, it's, the MRI was fine. You know, he's he's throwing regularly without issue. He really thinks he's going to be back. You know, by Toronto. Um, you know, that's what the White Sox said, and he said it's pretty much an agreement. Um, you know, really, it was the performance with the Cubs was fine. It was just about the level of recovery, and that's going to be something that they'll probably have to keep an eye on. Uh, for the rest of the season, and, and certainly if there's another point where it seems like he's recovering slowly in September, uh, you know, then things get more dicey, and you, you, you have to see how it pans out and how he responds to pitching on a regular schedule. Maybe with Ronaldo pitching as well as you do, you don't test him that immediately. Uh, but as he, he seems like things are going as well as they could be, given the initial scare of him needing the MRI. I think Yasmani is on a homer and a double and maybe another time on base in his rehab game right now in Charlotte. So, oh. and there were, they also just showed a video of him, uh, you know, hopping up out from his crouch and uh, feeling a butt and uh, gunning out a guy at first. So I, I don't know, like, I don't know, two or three more homers tonight. I don't know what else you need to really <laughs> see to, to feel good about him. Yeah. I'm sure they'll probably give him the rest of, you know, the homestand and Tampa series and, uh, you know, to get him rehab, but he, he's showing as well as he, he possibly could. That's great to hear, man. On the spot report right there on the, the night that Yasmani Grandal is having. White Sox and A's tonight. Lance Lynn against Cole Irvin talking to James Fegan of The Athletic. I'm Mark Rohde on the score. The Tuesday game was kind of the dream sequence, I think, James. The, a Sox 5-2 win, but you had Michael Kopech for two innings. Uh, Craig Kimbrell comes in for the hold, and there is Liam Hendricks for the save. Is that is that the template that they had foreseen when they brought Craig Kimbrell over, or was, is that just what it was for that? night uh that's kind of the question i posed to tony and he was he was kind of quick to point out like hey you know aaron bummer is here and we still trust him a lot or at, uh, you know ryan to and he didn't want to leave anybody out so yeah i think that on most nights especially a night where they're facing the right-handed heavy lineup uh that's what they're going to go to um you probably will see you know bummer and crochet mixed in there when they have instances where they really need a lefty out so it's not going to be that you know, every single time, but there was definitely an impressive display that they can do that 
uh, when called upon. Uh, I should mention that Cole Irving got uh, pushed back to tomorrow. They're actually facing a kind of call-up. Uh, Paul Blackburn starting tonight. So oh, thank you. That up against Lance Lynn. Probably, you know, could describe as a favorable matchup. You can't predict baseball, but this is really kind of a, a series that, you know, pulled through mostly through unfortunate circumstances. It's setting up pretty well, so I thought. So what you're saying is we should put a lot of money on the Chicago White Sox to win tonight. Is that what you're saying, James Fegan? We should put a lot of money on the Sox to win. The athletic has not shifted me towards uh, giving gambling uh, advice, so I, <laughs> I wonder if that day is on the horizon. I was going to say, you know it's coming for all of us, man, because I'm not exactly a, a gambling talker myself, but you know it's coming, right? I think at some point I'll have to figure out what lines mean, but so far I don't. So. <laughs> Same, man. James, thanks for the information and for the news for that matter. I appreciate it, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right, that is James Fegan from The Athletic giving us good news on Yasmani Grandal crushing the ball, making a great throw in a minor league rehab start tonight. Cole Irvin is not starting tonight. Some other guy is. I'm not really even sure who that was, but it is not Cole. And that is a break for the White Sox. Cole Irvin, 352 ERA. Lance Lynn with a 226 ERA. So, yeah, I would say advantage. Hey, man, and this is a this is a hugely important series for the White Sox. I think they, they know what's being said. They know what's being said, that the Sox can't beat good teams, and I think it, it bugs them, and it should. It should. They, they should want to obviously beat the stiffest competition, and they have a chance to take game three of this series tonight against the, the Oakland A's after the, the 9 nothing blitzing last night and then the Tuesday 5-2 victory, the Kopech-Kimbrell-Hendricks game so it's interesting the way it lined up and I would have thought that that would be the template but nobody wants to completely show their hand on that we got hub archers coming up at seven o'clock more bears talk on the way at seven with hub I'm Mark Grody here with you all the way until nine o'clock on Chicago Sports Radio 670 the score Cubs have won two in a row we will talk about the Cubs a little bit later on Bears in 10 minutes when Hub Arkish will join me. I'm Mark Grody here with you until 9 o'clock on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score. Talk about the White Sox. They're getting ready to take on the Oakland A's at 710, so about 20 minutes from right now. Lance Lynn is the starting pitcher for the Chicago White Sox tonight. I would rather see, like, I know how nifty it looked for the White Sox on Tuesday when you, you beat the A's 5-2. to two. Michael Kopech goes two innings. Craig Kimbrell, the eighth. And then Liam Hendricks comes on for the save. I'm sticking to it, man. I still think Craig Kimbrell should be the closer on the Chicago White Sox. And uh, and I'm not – they both had some bad moments lately, both of these guys. Kimbrell against the Cubs, obviously, and Liam Hendricks against the, the Yankees. Same with Kimbrell. Bad moments for sure. And I, I'm not saying it because – like. I, I think that Craig Kimbrell should be, if he is going to be Hall of Fame worthy, he should be able to pitch in the seventh and eighth innings. So this is not me saying like he's uncomfortable in those innings. You should you should put him where he's more comfortable in in the ninth inning. I think that that that's ridiculous. Like he he should be able to do it. However, I do think he is a better closer than Liam Hendricks, pound for pound. And now and in the past. But let's just talk about now. He's been a better closer this year than Liam Hendricks. Not as much funny stuff going on 
in general this year when Craig Kimball has been the closer and most of that work obviously with the Chicago Cubs. And I don't know if it's like a loyalty thing that's going on. Why change something that and Liam Hendricks has been mostly good as the closer this year. We know the hiccups. We know the start of the season. It took him a while to get in gear. He's had some bad moments. He's given up too many home runs this year. I just think that Craig Kimbrell is the better the guy to have in the ninth inning, and I hope that they make that switch. I'm glad that Tony La Russa didn't, as nifty as it looked the other day, I'm glad that he does not like sticking to that as rote, and it has to be that way every time. I, I would make the simple switch of Kimbrell and Hendricks. And I, I also wouldn't mind, like, as long as you have a, what, 11-game lead in the division, why not put Kopech in? In a in the ninth inning in a three two game and just see what happens. I mean, because once the postseason gets here and it will for the White Sox, you know how it works, man. Anything goes. Anything goes with the postseason. We saw it last year with Ricky Renteria and the parade of bullpenners pitching against the Oakland A's and Matt Foster walking guys with the bases loaded. Anything can happen. And they've done a pretty good job of preparing Michael Kopech for anything in terms of leaving him out there for a couple innings at a time, Um, in terms of finally bringing him in occasionally in high leverage. But why not? With an 11-game lead, see what you have. I got to tell you, I don't rule out Michael Kopech as a starter in the postseason for the White Sox and doing one of those, like, two or three inning start kind of things. Like I don't rule that out or him even getting a start. And most people say, no, there's no way that's going to happen. That's all going to be next year. But I, especially with, with Carlos Rodon and who knows what's going on. Hopefully Rodon is, is back and he'll be okay. And as James Vegan told us, the MRI seemed to work out fine, but is he going to continue to be the same guy? I don't rule out Kopech starting in in the postseason. So it, it's going to get interesting. It always does. Do you think, Grody, that that messes up, like, wouldn't that mess up Kopech's rhythm, though? Because he's now used to being kind of like that seventh inning type of guy, you know. I'd say no because he's a starter at heart. Like, that. that's what he has done. He's had, what, one or two starts? Didn't he have one start this year at least? I think he's had at least one start this year. I understand what you're saying, Brandon. I mean, that, that makes sense, like, you don't want to take a guy out of his element, especially since Michael Kopech has been thriving and he's been, you could use the word, he's been great this year as a reliever. However, he is going to be a starter next year. It's what he's always been comfortable doing in his life. And I think, I, I don't think you would have any issue with it. I don't think that that would take him out of there. And, and I realize what I'm saying is probably an unpopular opinion, but man, you just can't rule anything out. When it comes to the post, you do whatever the hell you have to do to win the moment, to win the batter in the postseason. And that's why I want to see like every possible scenario tested with Michael Kopech. And I guess I could take my own advice when it comes to the the Kopech-Kimbrell-Hendricks game of the other day that, all right, there, there was that test. It worked. There it was. Now switch it around a little bit. Try Kimbrell as your closer and keep him as your closer. Uh, 815, Grody, agree 100%. Hendricks can easily transition into that setup role and can pitch into the seventh and eighth inning while Kimbrell is a shutdown closer. Yeah, that that's it. And, and Hendricks, 
you know, he's pretty damn close to a shutdown closer himself, but it just feels like he would be better at better than than Kimbrell at coming in in those seventh or eighth inning positions. But I also say I will not excuse Kimbrell for not being able to handle those situations or like he can't handle the, the Bowman because the adrenaline is not right. If you're, if you were to talk about you as a hall of famer, you better be able to do that uh, from the six, three on Mark. I thought the same thing, but if Kimbrell um, gets hit and blows the ninth, you have to bring in another pitcher for the 10th. If Hendrick blows the, the lead in the ninth, he can pitch in the 10th if necessary. Um, yeah, there, there's some truth to that as well, and these are things that Tony LaRusso will have to look ahead and see, and who knows who else steps up towards the end as well. And I am intrigued by Reynaldo Lopez. And like when, when Reynaldo Lopez is on, he had, what, four strikeouts the other night over five innings. Like, Ronaldo Lopez had in his career, remember back when he started for the White Sox? He had some epic strikeout games. There's no doubt about it. Like, things went badly for him ultimately as a starter, and they kept throwing him out there, and they, they seemed to give him every uh, every opportunity. And now you could call this a classic reset for Ronaldo Lopez. And I know he's been starting, but coming out of the bullpen as well, I just wonder if, man, wouldn't it be nice to make him a viable piece of the bullpen as well, a guy who can strike guys out in large numbers and be a change of pace for any of the Sox starters when he comes into games. Wouldn't it be nice if he, Reynaldo Lopez, could be a weapon for you in the postseason as well? I don't even know if he's going to make the postseason roster at, at this point, but it's it's interesting to to think about some of these scenarios with the, the White Sox bullpen. But I, I got to tell you, Kimbrell should be the closer for the Chicago White Sox. All right, Brandon, you don't agree, do you? You know, you know. I, I'm I'm not arguing that one. That, that okay. I, that's that's fair. The All Kimbrell right. being the closer, yeah. I'm with you. Right. The Kopech one, I don't know about oh, him, him being to like being a closer. The opener, yeah, like, I, I don't. The opener and the starter right now, you don't I like just, that in this groove right now because it's about the World Series. I want him. He's thriving right where he's okay. at. I want to keep him there. All right, we'll talk more about it later. We got a break though because Hub Arkish is next. We're going to talk about the Bears with him. We will talk about the Tevin Jenkins back surgery and Justin Fields. We will get Hub's opinion on all things Bears next. It's Mark Grody, Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Hey, 